Hi, I'm Steve Cartwright. And I'm Bob Stevenson. And welcome to Tesserai, where we attempt to explore the integrated Christian walk in light of the ways it has been dismantled. This first recorded episode is a bit of an origin story, because who doesn't love those? Uh, We will tell you a little bit about our own journeys, as well as the meaning of the name Tesserai. But before all that, what is the point of this podcast in the first place? Um, In short, it's integrity. Now, let me explain that. I don't know anyone who would come out and say, I do not wish to live a life of integrity. But in the past few years, it's been increasingly on my heart and mind as a concept. I want to live an integrated life, one where my words match up with my actions, one where I can be trusted regardless of who I'm around or who I don't think is watching. Maybe it's actually easier to think about or grasp this concept if it's missing. How many times have we seen public figures claim to be something only to be exposed as anything but politicians, preachers, priests, people have often convinced us that they were worthy of our trust until we learn of an indiscretion, an inconsistency, a discrepancy that changes our minds and hurts our hearts. What helps to legitimize the gospel itself is the fact that there was no such discrepancy in the words of Christ and in his subsequent behavior. He said he was going to die and rise again. He died and rose again. And there was no scandal to discredit his ministry while he was physically on earth. While no one listening or speaking on this podcast has lived a perfect life, we can examine and be honest about the ways we have been fragmented, both as individuals and as a collective body. One of the prominent ways we have felt disintegration and the lack of integrity of the church has been through the sin of racism, a topic, a reality that has brought both of us together as co-hosts. So with that, let's tell you a little bit about ourselves. Integrity has always been a key thing for me. Uh, grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I um, have always cared about what's right and wrong. Um, I, I've always had a sense of strong sense of justice. Uh, I'm a one on the Enneagram, if any of you hmm. Enneagram nerds are out there. And so for me, knowing what has to be done and doing that is of of most importance, which created some interesting spiritual conundrums as a kid, uh, because I was pretty aware of my sinfulness and I struggled to receive grace. Um, over the years, uh, grew to understand the glory of the gospel and how Christ is our justification. And that has been the great healing balm, uh, and, um, source of joy for me because I'm able to see truth, truth and grace, truth and mercy, justice and goodness and love united. But of course, it's also motivated me to think about the ways in which our society does not do that, um, the ways that the church does not do that. I really had a, I don't know, as a A white male had a pretty naive vision of the world. Uh, In my mind, racism was kind of a thing of the past. It was something that my my grandparents' generation struggled with or my father's generation, but not us. We were, you know, uh, alive and kicking in the 1990s. Everything was great then. Uh, But over time, I I began to realize, we'll talk a bit more about this um, shortly, but uh, it wasn't until it was in my well, my late 20s or so, that I came to realize uh, there was a great fragmentation in society and in the church. 
and the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of its uniting power, there was a disconnect with our experience, our social reality, and even the reality within the churches. And so I've become, over these years, very passionate about understanding that disconnect, but more importantly, seeking how do we find wholeness? How do we find integrity? Yeah, that's good. Uh, I think there's a lot that I can relate to there, especially with the background of growing up in the church. I, my dad has been a pastor of a Pentecostal church since I was one years old. Um, so the church, both as a body and the building itself, was central for as long as I can remember, my earliest of memories. And in particular, being a Pentecostal church, holiness of life straight out of 1 Peter 2 and 9 was pretty key. Um, and so I, I'd say that was that was the most central thing. Also growing up, uh, a part of my identity for as long as I can remember, um, I knew that I was black. I knew that uh, I would have grown up with an identity that was a Christian who was black. So there was an order of operations, if you will. Uh, but it was an understanding that you were connected to the struggle of your ancestors, um, that your ancestors and that your family did not go through so many of the so many of the pains of racism, discrimination, so that you could, let's say, not vote or so that you could not get an education. Um, the message was pretty clear. Uh, people went through all kinds of atrocities and injustices uh, and still do. Uh, and you weren't going to uh, waste that by not working hard, by not uh, being aware of the struggle. So more than just Black History Month once a year, or uh, celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I'd say uh, Black History Month and uh, the reality of, or I should say Black History, uh, was pretty central in our home growing up. So what wasn't probably talked about as in-depth or examined as much was the church's complicit role in some of the, uh, or most of the racist atrocities that took place uh, in the history of our nation. So I grew up with a pretty clean image of being a Christian um, and didn't have to it didn't have to grapple with my identity as a black man growing up in the United States. So I think that kind of that that separation kind of came tumbling down when I even in knowing so much of the historical record of slavery and and, and being encouraged to learn more uh Narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass uh, in his appendix, um, he said uh, he said something that I want to share. And this actually came up. I had run across this multiple times growing up, but this actually came up when we were in seminary together in the class that we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, but he writes this regarding the marriage, if you will, of Christianity, um, if, if I, <laughs> Christianity with air quotes, Christianity and slavery in the U.S., this is Frederick Douglass. What I have said respecting and against religion, I mean strictly to apply to the slaveholding religion of this land and with no possible reference to Christianity proper. For between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference, so wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked." To be the friend of the one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I 
love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial, and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. I look upon it as the climax of all misnomers, the boldest of all frauds, and the grossest of all libels. So <laughs> that was really that was really powerful for me, uh, hearing somebody uh, who I respected so much in terms of their writings and their impact on my reality, but reality, uh, their impact on our country, look at Christianity and hold it to task and say that there is this mass discrepancy. There's no way these two go together. They just don't work together. Uh, you have to support the one and to support the one, you have to condemn the other. And I don't think that the church has always done a great job of actually condemning uh, the one that way I, I feel comfortable saying we would we would want to be condemned. Uh, the the slave holding cradle plundering one, that one, <laughs> uh, the one that's clearly partial, uh, the one that exalts one man over another and mistreats uh, image bearers. So that was that was profound for me uh, at different points in my life, because and in, in, in even before before that quote was so was so prominent in my life, like growing up, I was also justice oriented, had a feeling like, um, you know, everybody should have this piece of cake. <laughs> Sometimes it was very simple to just being a little kid at a birthday party saying that they got a piece of cake, they got a piece of cake and I should, too. Um sort of seeing how things needed to be balanced and there needed to be uh, justice, a sense of justice there. Uh, that, that was really key for me growing up and how we ought to live. So both of those were, were, were pretty real for me. So with that as the backdrop for both of us, uh, then I get to seminary, uh, which is where we would eventually meet Bob. Uh, and I'm curious if you could tell me a little bit about your seminary experience was it a particularly integrated time would you consider it integrated or uh sure was uh especially at first um so we both went to trinity and uh you know trinity is largely white seminary and um faculty and kind of the academics that we um the the people we studied etc sort of out of the uh, white european tradition uh, so very familiar for me. Uh, I was also pastoring full time and going to seminary part time, and so it uh, it, was, it was very integrative in the sense that I was practicing what I was learning. Uh, there was this wonderful feedback loop. I loved it. Um, it took me nine years to get through seminary, and so I, I got to really just sort of marinate in in my education. Now I say it started off as as really integrated because I had a, a season of disassembling, I suppose. Um, most, it was, I don't know, three quarters or so of the way through my degree. Um, everybody told me, or people were talking about, uh, how great Peter Cha was. And, uh, and, and so I ended up signing up for his social cultural exegesis class and, uh, wonderful, wonderful class. But when I got the syllabus, I realized that we were going to be talking about racism, uh, as part of, part of the, the class, which it, it made me flinch a little bit um, because, again, I didn't think racism was something that really needed to be studied. I, I was a couple of years out of a painful situation where somebody had accused me of uh, being racially motivated in my decisions. And I was so offended by that. Um, 
you know, I, I grew up in Southern California as a kid and it was kind of a cosmopolitan, uh, experience. Like, you know, I, 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 I had nothing but respect for people of color, et cetera. Um, and then we moved to Pennsylvania and I, in high school, I had a high school teacher who, um, like, like she was racist and that was clear. (laughs) Now, now wait a minute. Tell me, tell me about that. What, why was that, why was that teacher racist in your mind at the time? Well, I don't even remember. I don't even remember what she was trying to illustrate. It was an English class. And, uh, I do remember the punchline, uh, as sort of the comparison she, she kind of got serious and she was like, now girls, what would you think if you, you know, or what would your parents think? How would they respond if you brought a black man home? And uh, me and my friend were just kind of looked at each other like, what, yeah, <laughs> what'd she right. say? So it was that kind of like clearly singling out black people as problematic, which I could look at and say, dad's racist, you know, but racism, you know, I mean, that's, it's, it was a rural area. Of course, those people are racist. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Peter Chaw uh, had us read Emerson and Smith's Divided by Faith, uh, William Julius Wilson, uh, More Than Just Race. And um, I had to really wrestle with the data. I had to really wrestle with um, the stories. I had to wrestle with the history. And I started to feel the grief um, of realizing like nobody told me this, you know, and, and recognizing that I had actually missed a whole lot of our history. Um, mm-hmm. And I was able to begin to see how, what the social reality actually was. Um, and so it really kind of undid me for a while. Uh, and, um, and, and through that process, I think it's, it's become more actually, uh, my, my education became more integrative. Um, it wasn't just comfortable, but it was more integrative. But I don't think that's quite how things went for you. So what was your experience like? I think you're, uh, I think you're right. I think it was a much more disintegrated time uh, for me. And, and there are also different reasons why. And I think in future episodes, maybe we'll even go into more detail. But I think getting to, getting to seminary I think I, I realized in retrospect that I actually wasn't expecting much out of white Christians, especially when it came to some of these harder topics, but it's most especially when it came to racism. I wasn't expecting uh, most white people to get it. I, I could be friends with them um, on, on some on some level. But, you know, uh, growing up, I'd say 90.1 Moody Radio was was like on in our in our house sometimes or be the main station on in the car if we traveled when we were kids and uh and and even if you know they would have a different conversations on social realities that would come up every now and then but I just don't remember race being like a primary part of it so even though I had a lot of thoughts by the time I had a lot of thoughts by the time we get I got to seminary overall there was this feeling like not expecting you to get it so it didn't really make me upset so much as it did just like, I'm going to have to get that somewhere else. You know, um, somebody's going to understand this context. I'm here for, uh, you know, some uh, nice theological categories. I'm here to take uh, languages, um, which felt like a thousand hours. But that was sort of, <laughs> that was like the reality that I was coming in with. It wasn't until I'm actually attending that I started to feel like this disintegration is affecting me. <clears throat> 
uh, in 2014, I remember uh, our campus being rocked, uh, as many other places were, with the controversial death uh, of Michael Brown. So when that happened in 2014, there was a lot of black students specifically, um, but students of color in general who had a lot of a lot of strong feelings and hurt over this situation. Um, and I just remember around that time, I started to to kind of make this connection that we had something to say about so many different realities in our world from a theological perspective, from a biblical perspective, but it seemed on this dicey issue of racism, the church was just silent or wholly incapable of being able to engage well. Some of that was the understanding that talking about race is just this liberal and progressive construct. And so that would automatically shut down conversations at a much more, much more conservative seminary, I would say, not even just politically speaking, but even theologically speaking, which again, I had grown up with. So I was, I was okay with. Um, but I think that started to bother me because I felt like, so this man's life mattered, right? And, but, uh, if we even begin to try to call into question motives around killing him, if we're, doesn't the church, doesn't God have anything to say about this? Or are we just supposed to just preach the gospel, just preach the gospel, which suggests that the gospel doesn't really reach every area, doesn't really reach everyone. So I saw that as limiting. Uh, I also saw it as quite partitioned on the campus itself because, uh, on, on Trinity's campus, there is a, a ministry uh, called Mosaic Ministries, and a focus uh, is racial reconciliation. And that's literally, a, and, it, and it is literally, uh, it takes place literally across the street on campus. So the undergrad side is on one side and the grad side is on the other. So even though largely grad students attend it, uh, you have to come over away from where most of your classes are, are going to take place into this different area on campus. Uh, where this will matter. And there are some faculty and, and staff who attend there with the students um, and who attempt to, to talk through uh, different realities that have hurt relations within the church and hurt our witness to the world. But overall, it still felt very disintegrated, um, felt very fragmented. And that's I know that's true because I know that there are fellow classmates um, that I had at the time and that I, that I know now who uh, maybe didn't give Mosaic a chance or who did and felt that they were being shamed for being white and specifically like being a white male. And so this place was labeled as anti-biblical or, or extra biblical, I should say. Um, and we needed to keep the main thing, the main thing. So it, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty, uh, a pretty disintegrated time for me. And I wanted that integrity. I wanted that uh, those pieces to be able to come together to make me to help make me a, a, a well-rounded believer, you know, um, one that could exist in different areas um, and uh, and learn in different ways. So all of that was happening. And then even though we technically met during our class on contemporary sexualities, uh, another topic that I, I think we'll get to at some point in this podcast, but uh, we eventually got to know each other a lot better. Um, in African-American church history uh, taught by Dr. Charlie Dates. Shout out to Pastor Dates at Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. Um, that was a life-changing experience for a host of different reasons. For one, just because the subject matter talked about the beauty and the witness of the Black church. And that is just something that, remember about that expectation piece, I didn't even expect at that point in seminary 
to be talking about these things. I just figured that there were some things that were not going to be known and talked about at a white evangelical space. But to have this be center stage and to have Dr. Dates uh, semi preaching to us on a Monday afternoon <laughs> after he had just <laughs> after he had just done the same <laughs> on the pulpit the day before uh, was life changing. The fact that it was happening, but also the fact that it was happening at Ted's, you know. Um, so I think that that helped the process of integration, of continued integration, and I think sanctification um, for me. Uh, but it also left glaring questions about like why this was so abnormal, you know, why it took you to take this one class with this professor or this class with this professor. And if you didn't have that, it was not going to be a part of your experience at all. So I, I feel like that, uh, that was, that was pretty powerful for me. Yeah. It was almost, you know, the fact that, uh, to address these issues were sort of electives or, um, almost like a, culture specific class or something that you had to get into. It wasn't woven throughout the, um, the overall feel really did. Uh, it would have been stronger and, you know, I mean, I'm not necessarily faulting Ted's. I I think, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they've got their, their plan, but that's really one of the things that we want to see happen here are conversations that are, um, weaving these issues through all of life, through the gospel lens, um, to say, how does Jesus speak into this? Because if our theology is true, if our doctrine is true, if Jesus is real, then as you said, like he's got to speak in to, um, uh, to police brutality. He's got to speak into uh, the, all the conversations about sexuality. He's got to speak into immigration. He's got to speak into everything. Uh, and if we're not seeing that, it may just be that we haven't learned how to think integratively, to come back to our word, um, enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, I don't know, that, maybe that's a good opportunity for us to chat a little bit about this weird name that we've chosen for this podcast, uh, mm-hmm. Tesserai. What's, what's that all about, Steve? I actually love this concept and I would love to take credit for it too, but instead I got to give a shout out to a dear friend, Talia Boltima. Uh, she, I was having a conversation about the podcast and didn't know what I was going to call it. Um, and, uh, and she came up with the idea of Tesserai. So that has been unknown to everyone we've told this about and I needed to look it up and understand it. So, so let's do that. Uh, Dude, you're totally pulling your seminary cred, like throwing Latin around. Like what in the world? <laughs> yep, wasn't for me. Yeah. So earlier we mentioned mosaic ministries at TEDS, and I feel like when talking about uh, diversity or the beauty of the the body of Christ, it's not abnormal or rare to talk about the picture of a mosaic. You know, where it's mul- multiple things kind of showing up. So, uh, so that's pretty common. But the reason why I like this idea so much is that I didn't know that a tessera um, is part of what makes up a mosaic. So a tessera is described as a small block of stone, tile, glass, or other material used in the construction of a mosaic. So those individual pieces that end up making the beautiful picture that we see um, are tessera, or in plural, tesserae. So I found that to be... I found that to be pretty cool just because there are different aspects of the Christian walk that we, depending on our upbringing, depending on our, our own biases and prejudice sometimes, or just sometimes dependent on our, our own experience. Um, 
that we'll focus on. And sometimes those are very touchy subjects that people disagree on, uh, like race or sexuality or abortion. Um, and But those aren't the only ones by any means. But the point is, we could focus on one of those things really, really well and not pay so close attention as to how it relates to another tessera or another concept in the Christian walk. So what if those other ones begin to fall by the wayside or you're completely ignorant to them falling by the wayside? At some point, you begin to distort the image of the mosaic as a whole um, because you're spending so much time focusing on one uh, and you're unwilling to examine or unable in your ignorance to be able to speak to the other. The point of this podcast and talking about integrity is trying to uphold the integrity of a mosaic, essentially, to not distort this image of the Christian walk um, by not focusing on some things and focusing on others or having these mass discrepancies uh, in our lives. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think like a good example of how that works itself out is uh, think think about like abortion and, and the pro-life movement. Um, what does it mean to be pro life? Does it mean that you care about um, uh, black men who are killed by police? Or does it just mean that you care about babies? Now, obviously, I think both are really, really important. But when we fixate on one of these uh, little tessera to the exclusion of other ones, we can get imbalances and even divisions, right? Because we see that all the time where people are uh, really concerned about a single issue um, and they're not able to think about how the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks into all of that. And, and the reality is, like, if we don't speak into these, uh, all these different areas, um, if, if we're not sh- helping people to see how Jesus speaks into all of these areas, well, we're going to seed the conversations of the culture. Right? Somebody's going to be talking about it. And if we would be salt and light, my goodness, like <laughs> we need to be those people. So that, that's that's definitely what we're after, this idea of a mosaic uh, and the Tessera. And I'm really excited about where we're going from here. Uh, there was one word that you mentioned earlier, uh, disassembling, I think that took place for you. I, I've found that to be really helpful as we've kind of constructed uh, ideas around this podcast, just because it sounds quite intentional when you're fragmented. I don't know if anyone goes out and is like, it's time for me to get fragmented. <laughs> it's time for me to to kind of pull these things apart. It can kind of just happen. But there are times um, when there can be a willful pulling apart. It feels like you're kind of taking tools and pulling apart at that which is important to you. Um, and I see that with college students all the time. Um, I work at Wheaton College and and I myself in college was there's a time where my own faith was being deconstructed and that's part of the larger point of deconstruction. Deconstruction, it, it comes with the point of rebuilding. So you understand the ruins once they've fallen down. You understand uh, the location of everything so that you can put it back together better than it was. Um, otherwise, it's just demolition. Um, and so I think that's uh, uh, something that I'm really excited to delve in more with you as we explore this together, man. Absolutely. And that's that's so central to what we're after. We want this to be constructive uh, and to build up rather than just tear down. There's plenty of tearing down in this world. We want to build up. 
Well, that's all we have for you. Um, it's been fun to kick this off with you. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we really believe that these uh, topics are better had in conversation with friends, and we would love to hear from you. Um, moving forward, if you have something you want to share with us, something you disagree with, something you agree with, something you'd like to hear more of, or something you'd like to hear less about, we'd love to hear from you. We're on uh, Facebook and Twitter at Tesseray Podcast. And uh, we are looking forward to connecting in the future. That's it for this episode of Tesserai. We'll see you next time.